Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and world. Let's get into this week's episode. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to CBE's podcast, Mutuality Matters, as we consider women in words, Bible translation, and why it matters to the world's women. I'm thankful to have as our guest this month and next month, Dr. Daifus Shamurian. He has been a longtime colleague of CBE International and most recently on the Old Testament Bible translation team. He is a vital member of our global community of egalitarians, so I'd like to welcome you, Daifus. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here, and good evening from Kenya. That's right. Now, Dr. Daifus uh, Shamorian is an ordained minister of the Reformed Church of East Africa. He earned a BA in social work from the University of Nairobi, a bachelor's degree from St. Paul's University in Lamuro, Kenya. He holds a master's degree of theology from Emory University at the Chandler School of Theology in the United States and a doctorate in theology from Stellenbach in South Africa. My goodness, what a, a prestigious academic career you've had. He is a reformed a pastor in the RCEA and a synod professor of theology. He actively speaks and writes the CBE and is a member, as I said, of our Bible translation team. So again, welcome, Dyfus. Uh, we'd like to hear how God has led you into the Old Testament uh, studies and especially Bible translation. First of all, thank you very much for your kind words of introduction. Let me also say hello to all our listeners. And I greet all of you in the name of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. I discovered the gift of Bible translation during my ministerial training at St. Paul's University. Then it was called St. Paul's United Theological College in the beginning of 1995. I was pursuing a Bachelor of Divinity degree then, and I found myself inclined to Old Testament, and I was um, in love with Hebrew. I liked Hebrew because at the seminary, we were advised uh, to choose between Hebrew and Greek, and I found Hebrew to be my favorite. But mm. before I graduated in 1998, uh, the Summer Institute of Linguistics, which had an office in uh, Nairobi, working uh, together in partnership with the Bible Translation Literacy, invited me for a training, a short course on uh, translation principles. So I did the course. And after the training uh, in 1998, when I graduated, they also offered me a job as a senior translator in the local language from which I come. They were actually beginning the Old Testament a translation project, and they needed someone of the qualifications that I had. So that's how mm -hmm. I ended into the world of translation. Thank you. 
Well, what local language were you asked to specialize in? This is my mother tongue now. In Kenya, we have more than 50 languages, the vernacular languages, and mm. uh, this is Sabaot language. It is um, a, a smaller language that within this cluster of the Kalenjin languages. They are called a uh, Nilotic. Uh, highland nylots. And so it's a Sabaot language. Oh, yes. I believe we have at least one book in, in your language, your mother tongue, in CBE. Uh, it's called Still Side by Side. And I'm thankful for the translator. It may well have been you. Uh, and thank you for that introduction uh, and, and showing us how God has led you and how you were so faithful to your call, Dyfus. Can you speak to the kind of influence Bible translation has over all in our world and how that influence is dependent on Bible translation teams, not only their training, but also their values, cultural competencies, perspectives, and other issues? Thank you very much. The Bible is the word of God, and it is the voice of God to uh, his people. And all believers hold the Bible in high esteem as the source of um, ethical direction and spiritual guidance. And therefore, the Bible has authority and influence over the lives of uh, people, and especially the believers. And even those who are led to faith, when they read the Bible, they get touched and uh, they change their lives. Mm. When they allow the Bible to speak to them, they are changed. Mm. Now, one thing about the Bible and in, in terms of translations is that it is the word of God, but it's also mediated uh, through translations because, you know, the Bible was originally written in um, biblical languages, more specifically Hebrew for the Old Testament and the Greek for the New Testament. So all people who do not know Hebrew or Greek or even Aramaic would depend on the translators to relay the word of God in a language that they can understand. But they also look at the translators um, with a lot of... Uh, uh, interest on how they live. And so the values of the translators, because they handle the word of God, affect the perception. They affect acceptability of the Bible. If a tra translator doesn't have integrity, then um, the people who would want to receive that Bible may question the translation as a whole. So it's, it's very important. Uh, to know that the Bible has influence, but also those who handle the word of God must be people of uh, integrity, God-fearing people. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was quite helpful and very clear. Can you speak, before we go on to another question, can you speak about the difference between integrity in handling the word of God and really perhaps translators' lack of understanding or learning or education because I think sometimes uh, it's is it is it not possible to favor a perspective only because you do not 
really you're not aware of a better way of reading the passage. Yes, um, many people, it depends on the level of uh, maturity of Christians. Some Christians are really at the very initial stages of their faith or they are not deeply rooted. And so they would want to look at the Bible even from the perspective of who is the translator. Mm. Those who are theologians might understand and say, God can use anybody. Uh, but uh, for the majority of believers, they would associate uh, the character of the translator with the Bible. And so if the translator does something that is not acceptable or is not in line with what is perceived to be God's will, then there would be users uh, by extension also start questioning even what they did. They say, how can we trust? Since we do not know Hebrew, since we do not know uh, Greek, how can we trust that this person really rendered the word of God the way it should be, especially when the rendering has differences with other translations? Right, right. Do you suspect that uh, Bible translators will... Uh, so you ensure that translation teams, uh, that the Bible they produce is cleared of translator bias, right? And how do we, how do we do that? How do we clear translation teams of bias? Now, that's a very important uh, question in terms of um, how do we uh, make sure that uh, the Bible speaks what um, is supposed to speak without uh, influence. Perhaps the best way to tackle that question is to ask ourselves what is a, a translation. In simple terms, it is the endeavor to retell the word of God as it is recorded. Uh, you see in, in, the, in the source language from where it is being taken to the target language, in a way that is uh, um, clear and accurate and natural as much as possible. In other words, it calls for faithfulness. Mm. But now we are human beings. Mm. And therefore, there are times when people might be overcarried to have their own uh, prejudices um, you know, uh, included in what the word is actually saying. So translation bias would be at the level of uh, an individual, individual's persuasion might sneak into uh, the word of God, uh, but there are ways, there are mechanisms of, um, of handling it. Mm -hmm. The other way of talking about bias is uh, when we do translations, it's important to know that translations are done uh, uh, with the different uh, functions and also for different purposes and for different audiences. So if you talk about bias, I might be biased. I'm doing a translation because of the particular target audience, maybe children, maybe um, um, prisoners. Or mm -hmm. So I would want to be very careful on how I okay. make sure that the target audience also receives the word of God. That's when a uh, Bias might also be introduced in. But just to say, all translators are required ethically to be accurate, to be clear, to be natural, 
And by accuracy, it means that you should always endeavor to not to add, but to only bring out what is clearly implied, make it explicit if they had not been made explicit, or clarify it if it had not been uh, if it is not clear. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. yeah, it reminds me of Occam's razor, right? Whatever is the most obvious or the clearest <clears throat> path forward um, is best. <clears throat> but how do uh, Bible readers, how can Bible readers who do not know Greek or Hebrew, who are not trained in translation, who do not know the nuances of language, how are these everyday Bible readers able to detect uh, translation bias and overcome it? What would you, Dyfus, recommend? Well, the reading process should not be devoid of um, uh, prayer and meditation. Because even if the translation is not uh, uh, biased, there are chances of misinterpretation. Mm -hmm. And you can always read anything from the Bible depending on your state of mind and your faith. Mm -hmm. So if you are a believer, then already you are uh, uh, tuned towards receiving the word of God positively. And so praying for illumination is very, very important so that um, the Holy Spirit can also guide you to question certain and might lead you to compare uh, versions and and, and, and uh, and see exactly uh, what's the difference between the particular version you are looking at and other versions. So by comparing uh, other uh, versions, one is able to see where there can be strange renderings that need clarification. And if that clarification is not consistent with the actual word of God, it will surface. I would encourage those who are able to read that as you begin to read the Bible, please check the preface. There's a lot of information in every Bible, but unfortunately, readers uh, pay less attention uh, to the preface. They pay less attention to the footnotes. They pay less attention to those important guides that would help one to, uh, to see why is a translation the way it is, or why has a certain rendering been chosen um, other than the other. So it's uh, about being careful on how we look at the Bible and making sure that we explore all the resources available within uh, the, the translation. Wonderful. That's great advice. How many different translations should a reader consult um, in maybe a year when reading important passages about, for example, uh, male authority in one's life? How many? And, and would they, would the newer translations be as helpful as, say, a King James Bible, uh, the original King James? I think the reason why we, and we'll come to that maybe, the reason why we are doing the gender accurate Bible from our perspective is because uh, some, many of the translations have not uh, addressed even the question of gender very, very in, 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 in an open manner. Mm -hmm. And so if uh, you want to read, there are many, I wouldn't say that they consult too many, but I would say begin from the known. Mm -hmm. uh, begin from the versions that you have. Mm 
read a more literal version, the older versions. Mm -hmm. Also mm -hmm. read most recent uh, translations which are dynamic, uh, mm -hmm. speak the modern language, mm -hmm. and then uh, compare. Mm. But it would be good to ask the question, uh, which translation uh, would cater for particular interest? Because as I have said, the translations are known in their, in their, in their prefaces and their philosophies are also known. So if you are educated enough and you want to know the kind of translation that might be helpful to you, uh, post a question either such and you'll find the appropriate um, Bible that would help you. Excellent, excellent. Thank you. Very wise. Join us July 26th through 28th, 2024 in Denver, Colorado at Tell Her Story, Women in Scripture and History, CBE's 2024 International Conference. Highlights include engaging workshops and keynote sessions, thought-provoking discussions, speakers who are experts in their fields, in-person access to egalitarian resources, and much more. Don't miss this chance to examine the evidence of women through scripture and history. Registration opens in January. Let's scale the mountains of evidence to tell her story together. Learn more at cbe.today forward slash Denver 2024. Well, Dr. Shimurian, can you please answer this question? Would increasing the number of translators on a translation team, including adding more women and individuals from varied theological perspectives help produce a more accurate translation? Thank you. This is a very interesting uh, question. First of all, Bible translation is a process. It, it is not a, a single event, and it is a process involving many participants. It also ought to go through different levels or different uh, stages of development uh, before the final copy is printed out. So that by the time the whole translation comes out, a number of people have been involved in different ways in an ideal situation. I would say that we have had some, historically we have had some translations that are said to have been done by single individuals. And I want to put a disclaimer that nobody, uh, unless it is just the author, authoring and carrying the title, it is practically impossible for just one person mm -hmm. to claim that they have done a translation without consulting or involving others. Good, yes. And so all those translations we hear people did individually, there must be some other people they consulted with. But now what happens? As I've said, when you have a, a translation project, there are different roles that are played by different people. So for example, in an ideal situation, you will get the drafters, those who draft and they can, uh, they can be many. They can be three or four drafters because if you want to finish the work quickly, you can have three or four. But it would be good to mix them to have both uh, women and men involved, mm -hmm. also the young and also the, the, the more aged in terms for, for language purposes, balancing the language. Once the drafters have done their translation, it is good practice to let them have cross-checking. Let each of them read through the work of the other 
and make some vital inputs. And it does happen that as a single person, you always make a lot of omissions. You always have errors and they can easily be picked up by the other people. There are also those who may just play a role of listening, just read the translation to them or give them to read. As they read, you find some hesitations, you find words that are difficult to understand, you find them showing signs because translation is communication. And mm -hmm. so you involve various people in various, at various stages to contribute to the quality of the translation. Some of the key um, activities that must be done are what I've just said, the drafting. Then we have the team cross-check where uh, members uh, look at each other's work. Mm -hmm. Then we have advisory check where we have a more advanced expert. Could be a person trained in translation theory or communication or uh, theology. And um, this can play the role of, um, of uh, the advisory role or consultant role because they have known uh, from experience areas that can be challenging. Mm -hmm. The translation draft should also be taken to reviewers who are not necessarily highly educated people. What we are dealing with the translation is you are checking language. You are, you, are, you, are, you are checking its communicative uh, functions. You are checking the, uh, the, uh, the, the, whether it is communicating the message, whether it is clear, mm. whether it is accurate, whether mm. it is natural in the language. In other words, is it flowing? Is the discourse flowing the way it should so that the translation can eventually be at that level, you might need people who have not, even some illiterate people, even people who have not gone to school, they can be part of the reviewing team. They don't necessarily have to be Christians. They can be non-Christians because you are checking. How are they here? What are they hearing? Mm -hmm. And uh, so the participation of various uh, categories of people is very, very important. Mm. But to come to your question, yes, it is good to have people who have Bible knowledge but translation is not really an, uh, a matter of theology. Theology is different from translation because translation is communication, mm -hmm. relaying what is being said, because if you bring in too much theology, then you can take, you can bring in um, mm -hmm. doctrinal biases. You can bring in uh, other things that may not help the translation process. And that's why, in a translation team, you do not need to dwell so much on the theological things. That is a different field. You look at communication. What mm -hmm. did the source language uh, text order say? How can it be said in the target text language? Thank you so much for such a clear and helpful uh, description of the extensive process of Bible translation. It's incredibly helpful to hear its communication primarily over and against uh, theology. And what would you say, Dyfus, is, in your opinion, the most successful Bible translation available today? Why do you consider it a successful Bible? And what are your favorites? Thank you. This is a tricky question. Mm -hmm. Because uh, in my position as a, as a translator, 
And um, also as a biblical scholar, mm-hmm. I would say that we must ask a successful in what in what regard with what in what regard. However, generally, if you're asking about uh, scripture use or the popularity of uh, a translation, then um, we must we can say that that goes with the the number of copies that are uh, circulated and actually used to impact on people's lives. So we are talking about scripture use. The 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 way um, the scriptures are purchased or are demanded, the demand versus the actual application of the scripture would be uh, a useful measure of a, the success of the uh, translation. But um, currently, um, because we have many translations now, um, I would say that the most of the readers would want to uh, go for translations that draw a balance between being close, being literal to being close to the original wording, but also being dynamic in the sense of speaking uh, the current language. And so if you look at the translations, you'll find the more literal versions uh, that even speak all the language, like the older King James version or the revised standard version, the very older versions, um, they would not be as attractive as the newer versions, like the new international version or the new living translation mm-hmm. um, uh, because of the language. And uh, you know, we are talking about English language and English now being uh, an international language, the leading language of wider communication, then you would find that those translations that keep in between being literal and being um, uh, dynamic are the most uh, attractive. Attractive. Mm. However, I would want to be, to be quick to add that from my position as a translator, we would measure the uh, quality of the translation um, on, 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 on text by text basis. If you have listened very quick, carefully to many preachers these days, they would uh, jump from one version to the other version. Um, so at one stage, they are referring to a verse in a particular version, and then they don't keep the same version. They will again say, now, can we read this uh, other va- uh, verse in another version? And that means that um, there is no consistency in many translations today. They are good throughout, or they are paper throughout. It varies from text to text. It varies from how they trans, uh, the way they tackle translation issues uh, in different parts of the Bible. English translations are more popular, as I've said, because English is the greatest, is the language of uh, wider communication. But my favorite Bible translation and Bible translators, uh, uh, the ones I've experienced are my own OT team, my own OT consulting team and the GAP, uh, our gender accurate uh, Bible translators. Mm -hmm. I just love them. Mm -hmm. Why? Because we agree to disagree and resolve our disagreements. Mm -hmm. Um, We discuss and give time to each other to bring their views. Mm-hmm. And um, if something is uh, 
difficult. Mm-hmm. We we sleep over it, mm-hmm. and then finally we find a way of arriving at a consensus. So I I am I'm really happy with this team because mm-hmm. then what comes out then is not a, a personal view; mm-hmm. it becomes a committee a translation. Mm, beautiful. But if you want to ask me about uh, theorists who have um, influenced me as a Bible translator, the ones I respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would uh, go for uh, uh, Professor Dr. Christian Nord um, of, of, of Free University. She, she's a German, a renowned uh, translator in general. And um, it is because of the theory that she has advanced, the function plus royalty uh, the, uh, theory, mm-hmm. which is uh, part of the Scopus theory of translation. Um, that's the person I would work with um, mostly. I would really want to say that I've interacted with uh, her writings mm-hmm. and um, uh, her writings also informed my PhD. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I would recommend that that's a translator that is balanced because she says basically, um, look at the purpose of the translation, but also respect the original intention of the translation. So. It is not just translating according to the purpose, but also paying attention to the intentions of the order, of, of the original orders of the uh, source text. Wonderful. Can you spell her name for us so others can look her up and read some of her works? Yes, it is a Christian. Christian is C-H-R-I-S-T-I. A-N-E. Mm-hmm. Then Nord is N-O-R-D. Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. Excellent. Right. Thank you. All right. Dyfus, for those in our audience who do not know much about CBE's Bible translation, and you've just mentioned how, how happy you are to be working on this team, can you introduce the project and why it is crucial to English Bible readers, what are its goals, uh, especially on the Old Testament team, and what do you hope will be the impact of this project for the church? Thank you very much. Um, at the moment, we still have a working title as GAP, the Gender Accurate Bible Project, and it's a project of CBE. And uh, our goals are very, very clear. One is we want to achieve uh, gender accuracy. In other words, uh, having fair uh, representation of all gender. And that means uh, addressing deletions or uh, misrepresentations of either gender, um, addressing uh, wrong characterizations, and also uh, avoiding uh, stereotypes. And so we aim at addressing gender disparities in translations, and especially with regard to the position of women who are the most uh, affected. We also aim at providing communicative modern English translation, um, looking at the modern language, asking ourselves would the younger people, young speakers, the younger generation of um, English speakers understand what is written. 
you realize that there is also what we call the biblish or, or uh, uh, biblical language that can be very strange to the um, ordinary uh, modern or contemporary speakers of uh, English. So we aim at producing a translation that is gender accurate, but also communicates uh, well to the youthful generation. I believe that this project of ours would have a lot, a huge impact because it will bring more access to the word of God and therefore greater uh, response. Uh, it will also influence the way um, women and men are viewed in society. And we aim at elevating the dignity of both women and men. Um, in as far as the word of God is concerned, so that we offer fair treatment, fair representation of either um, gender, thus um, minimizing or mitigating um, uh, factors that have led to the oppression or uh, underrepresentation or mm -hmm. those negative tendencies about um, how people relate in society. Oh, that's just wonderful. I am counting the days until I can read your recommendations and we can make these available to the world. Thank you so much for such a helpful explanation and for your significant and faithful contribution, Dyfus. One last question uh, before we um, end part one. That question is, could you share just a few of the less complicated Bible translation recommendations from your team? Uh, thank you. Um, let me first of all mention that our project is still in process. We are not yet uh, out. It's not yet uh, published. And so the process is still going on. And therefore, I would only highlight what we have so far done. And I would restrict myself perhaps to a few texts in the Pentateuch, that is the five books. Um, but just a few examples. If you look, for example, the most uh, re referenced text, I believe, is uh, Genesis 1, 26 uh, to 28, which... Uh, has popularly been known as a creation mandate uh, theologically. But the wording there has also been used um, in ways that can undermine uh, uh, the, the, the female gender in, in, in particular. For example, if you look at what the ESV would say, in verse 26 says, then God said, let us make man. So the use of the term man um, technically, for those who do not know the origins of that word, might think it is just uh, the gender. They are referring to a male. Mm -hmm. But the term man is not restricted from the source text. The Hebrew text itself is not referring to just the male. It's referring to humankind because the term Adam a means humankind in one context and sometimes can just mean that uh, um, uh, noun referring to the husband of, if, if I put it that way. And so 
in verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we have gone for humankind to be mm. more inclusive. Mm. Mm-hmm. Just one uh, example. Mm-hmm. The, the other one would be like um, in Genesis, uh, the same Genesis 3.16. If you look at Genesis 3.16, um, we find some instructions that God is, uh, is, is, is giving uh, uh, to the woman. In, in NLT, it says, then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. And in pain, you will give birth and you'll decide to control your husband, but he will rule over you. In NIV, to the woman, he said, I will make your pain, uh, your pains in childbearing very severe with painful labor, you will give uh, birth uh, to children. And to Gap, we said, to the woman, he said, I will intensify many times over the labor of childbirth so that it is anguish that you will give birth, uh, it, it, so that um, you will give birth to children in anguish. So you find that we are addressing two things. One, we are also looking at the language, which, which one would be more easy to mm-hmm. follow mm-hmm. Uh, from the perspective of modern readers as compared to others. Uh, then the most interesting one is in uh, Genesis chapter 49, verse 25. Uh, Genesis 49, verse 25 is a, a, a blessing that is being given by Jacob towards the last, towards the end of his, but he says here, by the God of your father, um, who will help you by the almighty, who will bless you with the blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the press and of the womb. That is in ESV. Then we have NIV, uh, we have NLT, we have uh, uh, the NIV saying, because of your father's God who helps you, because of the Almighty who blesses you with the blessings of the skies above, bless, blessings of the deep uh, springs below, blessings of the breast and the womb. And um, uh, uh, for us, because we have said, because the God of your father helps you, Shaddai blesses you with the blessings of the heavens above and blessings of the deep that lies below, blessings of the breasts breasts, and of the womb. Notice here is that the name of God Shaddai is usually translated as almighty. However, the Hebrew poetry of this text makes it clear that the name of God Shaddai is parallel to the word Shaddaim, the two breasts. And so we, have retained that one because uh, it is uh, uh, it seeks to show the power of God Almighty that the power of God Almighty is the power of a person with two breasts and a womb, and so uh, we we have retained that imagery to come to because it has been minimized in other translations. Right, we right. have brought it out so that we do not lose that uh, imagery that is very very important. Those are some of the few examples for now. Thank you very much, Dyfus. It's just wonderful to hear 
your experience and some of the work you've done as significant as it is. And we thank God for you. And this is part one of a two-part series. Part two will air in February. Part one is, of course, our first podcast on Bible translation in the year 2024. So I want to thank you, Dr. Shimorian, for your wonderful contribution to a very significant project that I believe will have global impact. And thank you again, and we look forward to hearing your ideas and your contributions and your expertise next month. Um, Stay tuned for new episodes coming to you from CBE on our podcast, Mutuality Matters. Uh, In the meantime, please go to our show notes so you can learn more about our guest and find links to work that he has done and organizations he is part of. Check out our website, cbeinternational.org, where you can have access to the world's largest collection of biblical information on men and women and their leadership and shared authority. Watch our videos, listen to our podcasts, and much of our work uh, is translated into 17 different languages. You can subscribe to our blog and magazine and academic journal and visit our bookstore and join us this coming summer in Denver, Colorado, the last weekend in July. I am Mimi Haddad, and I thank our guest, Dr. David Demorian, and especially also uh, our wonderful uh, podcast editors, Landon, Bree, and Amber our support tacking team at CBE. This is Mutuality Matters, and thanks for listening. The opinions expressed in CBE's Mutuality Matters podcast are those of its hosts and guests and do not purport to reflect the opinions or views of CBE International or its members or chapters worldwide. The designations employed in this podcast and the presentation of content therein do not imply the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of CBE concerning the legal status of any country, area, or territory, or of its authorities, or concerning the delimitation of its frontiers.